Welcome to Stand in the Gap Today with your host, the Honorable Sam Rohrer, President of the American Pastors Network, addressing the most pressing issues impacting our economy, our homes, our churches, our culture, and our daily lives from a biblical and constitutional perspective. Stand in the Gap Today, transforming the culture one heart at a time. Well, a short time ago... A dedicated listener to this program from Ohio sent me one of the most inspiring, comprehensive, and thoughtful letters I think I've ever received, and so many of you have sent such powerful letters. I want to thank you all for have done that. But this individual responded to my request that you've been hearing me give now for the last six weeks or so, and that's to just take a moment as a part of our American Pastors Network 10th anniversary celebration this year, in this fall, and asking you to share a note of thanksgiving to God about how the Lord has used American Pastors Network and our Stand in the Gap radio or TV programs in your life. And if you've not already done so, can I encourage you to take just a moment today or at least this week and ask the Lord what He would have you to share with us. And I think it's a great way to count your blessings, encourage us, and inspire other listeners as well as I will read portions of letters from time to time from now on through our Forging Ahead celebration Tuesday evening. It'll be held physically November 14th, and I want you to mark your calendars to join us. Meet the entire Stand in the Gap team, our special partner ministry friends. The Honorable Michelle Bachman and Dr. George Barna will be with us. And in addition to that, then write us a letter of gratitude. Reserve the date right now. You can do them both by going to standinthegapmedia.org and access the Forging Ahead celebration link, which is very obvious there. Well, that being said, I'm going to read from Jim's note, this individual from Ohio, because in his note, he made a reference which caught my attention, and it's the basis for today's bi-monthly focus on Israel and prophecy, today with Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. And the title I've chosen for today's program is this. The Intersection of Prophecy and the Whole Council of God. And as you will see, it comes right out of Jim's letter. Now, here's a portion of his letter, and then I'm going to go to Pastor Carl Brogy. Jim from Ohio said this. He said, APN has definitely made me a better Christian and drawn me into a closer walk with God. I have been in the Scripture more because you challenge my knowledge of God's Word by the topics you bring daily to my conscience. It makes me aware of my ignorance of the Word, and aware that when it comes to prophecy, in particular, that I'm in the same boat as the majority of other Christians, most who have not been under the preaching of the whole counsel of God. By that, I mean prophecy is not taught as being necessary to understanding the whole counsel of God. He goes on by saying, since listening to the program for several years now, I've grown immensely spiritually. I'm so routinely impressed, as well the people to whom I forward this broadcast, that you bring truthful facts, always backed by book, chapter, and verse from God's Word. He said, I love the amount of time you devote on your broadcast, linking the Old Testament with the New Testament, and teaching people that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, truly demonstrating what is meant by the whole counsel of God. And for that, I thank you, Jim, and you set up the program today. And with it, I welcome in Dr. Carl Brogy right now. Carl, thanks for being back with me. Always a pleasure to be with you, Sam. Pastor Brogy, as Jim so astutely recognized, prophecy and the Old and New Testaments together are necessary 
and must be preached together in order to understand what the Scripture refers to as the whole counsel of God. I want to start with some definitions, have you defined that, but that phrase, the whole counsel of God, the Apostle Paul used that in Acts 20, 27, and he gave a farewell speech to the elders of the Ephesian church there, but he said this, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And so that's where that comes from. People may not have known that, but all right, just go right into it. Would you define what is captured in that phrase, the whole counsel of God? Well, it's a critical phrase for every believer and certainly every pastor. It's rendered counsel, purpose, will, plan. It's a, it's a Greek word that specifically means something that is thought through carefully. So when he speaks of the whole counsel of God, he uses this adjective all or whole. And when it's used with the article, it, it speaks of a representative teaching. So Paul, in essence, is saying, I taught representatively all of the major truths and doctrines that God had unfolded in Scripture. He's not saying that he taught the whole mind of God, because obviously we're finite preachers, and only, uh, only God has an infinite mind. But he taught all that God said on every major subject. And that should be true, certainly in reference to prophecy and all the issues that God addresses. And so he's reminding these Ephesian elders, remember he was in Ephesus longer than any other city in his whole uh, ministry. He spent three years in Ephesus total. And so he's telling these elders, think about my example, follow it, and that should apply to every pastor and to some extent to every listener. Because in the great commission that Jesus said when he said, go and make converts or disciples of all the nations, every ethnic group, you baptize them as new believers, but then you teach all that I taught you to observe. And the command, of course, applies to the end of the age until he comes back. And when you think about Christ and think about the topics that he covered, he spoke on, you know, winning people to Jesus. He talked about family and evangelism and heaven and hell and love and service and his return from heaven. And so for this reason, Paul can say, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. And that statement really looks, I think, Sam, in two directions, both to the lost and to the saved. Concerning the lost, he's talking about, look, I, I shared the plan of salvation. And every pastor who's worth his salt, he doesn't just study for the sake of the saved, but he is to evangelize uh, the lost. And Paul said, look, I did that. And of course, he, he did it in a number of places. When he arrived in Ephesus, he met some of John's disciples. They hadn't yet heard Yeshua had come. He gave them the full message, and they're now identified in Jesus's name. He went to the Jews in the synagogue, uh, got some that were receptive, some who were opposing him. But his point is, is that if we don't warn our family, our friends, our neighbors, when God has given us an open door then blood, so to speak, is on our hands. And he said, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. And he's really, of course, drawing off of a statement the prophet Ezekiel had made where he said, look, you're to warn uh, the people as a watchman on the wall. And if you know they're in evil and you don't warn them, you don't say anything, then your blood is on their hands. But Paul faithfully warned it. But then there's a direction to the saved. And that in teaching the whole counsel of God, you teach all that God said. I, I think of Peter in Second Peter 1, 
that God has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And that's viewed in the whole council. And so as the sheep grow, they reproduce and they're healthy. Okay, and that's fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, all right, the whole counsel of God. That's all of what God says. But what if you don't do the whole counsel of God? All right, then there's a problem there with the blood of people on your hands. When we come back, we're going to walk further into now the intersection of prophecy and the whole counsel of God and why you cannot leave out prophecy. Expressing gratefulness is not only essential for God's blessing, it's God's antidote to pride. So can I invite you to be grateful with us? In just 10 years, God's grown APN from a mere vision to now reaching millions every day with God's Word and a biblical worldview. We're so grateful. We're also thankful for you who've partnered in prayer or finances along the way. Now, can I ask you to be grateful to God, bless us and others by writing a note sharing how God's used Stand in the Gap radio and TV in your life? Share your thankfulness online or simply send a letter like Mary did from Ohio. She said, your combining of biblical truth with the news of the days done more to keep me and my family informed and prepared than any source of news I've ever found. Thank you. Thank you. So just like Mary, will you share your thanks with us? Gratefulness is contagious, brings God's blessing, and encourages others. Thank God with us. Send a letter or go to standinthegapmedia.org. Does your child struggle to learn in a traditional classroom setting? Do you find yourself wishing you could spend more time interacting with and training them in the ways of the Lord? Thousands of parents feel the same way, and that's why they've chosen to educate their children at home. This gives them the tremendous opportunity to not only ensure a biblical worldview education, but to instill Christian values and build stronger relationships along the way. If this sounds like something you're looking for, why not consider BJU Press Homeschool Resources? BJU Press offers a variety of programs tailored to meet your family's needs and accommodate your child's learning style. Their curriculum was created to challenge your child to think biblically and grow in godly wisdom while receiving an academically sound education. They offer traditional homeschool textbooks, online classrooms, and distance learning. Take charge of your child's future by using BJU Press materials. Learn more at BJUPress.com. That's BJUPress.com. You're listening to Stand in the Gap today. For more information, visit our website at StandInTheGapRadio.com. Well, if you're just joining us today, this is one of our bi-monthly, every other Wednesday, we try to focus on Israel and prophecy and link those together. It's an amazing thing how many of you listeners who have responded mention the importance of this focus on prophecy and Israel. And I read a little bit from this letter from Jim in Ohio, what that has done for his understanding, prophecy, Israel, all of that as pertaining to the whole counsel of God. And we defined that. My guest today, Dr. Carl Brogy, senior pastor of Community Bible Church, Beaufort, South Carolina, defined that in that last segment. Now, moving ahead into the prophetical part in the intersection there. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, it says these words most of you would recognize. It says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, since the Scripture is God-breathed, 
according to this verse. And since God places the value of His written Word even above His own name, tells us that in the Old Testament, and since the Word of God is the written truth with God the Father as the author of all truth, and Jesus Christ, the very essence of truth, who is the life and the way and the truth, okay? Scripture is therefore of necessity comprehensive and complete. In 2 Timothy 4, 2, the Apostle Paul also commands all of those behind the pulpit or in any position of God-sanctioned authority. And Pastor Brogy made that connection last segment. It's not just the pastor in the pulpit. It's all believers. Preach the Word. That simply, though, means to communicate the entirety of the truth of God's Word, or simply rephrase, you could say, the whole counsel of God. All right, now, Carl, Jim, our listener from Ohio, I read part of that letter last time, to the listening of the day program, he said it's made him aware of, quote, I'm going to state again here, quote, he said, his ignorance of the Word and aware that when it comes to prophecy in particular, he said that I'm in the same boat as the majority of most Christians who have not been under the preaching of the whole counsel of God. And I'm going to submit there, I also know from further discussion with this individual that he did grow up as a Christian in Bible-believing churches. So that's a significant statement. So here's my question, Carl, for you. Would you identify and provide evidence as to why it's essential to understand the connection, the nexus between preaching, teaching, understanding biblical prophecy within the context of the whole counsel of God? Why do they have to go together? It's essential. Of course, Paul could say to the Corinthians, follow me like I follow Christ. And throughout the epistles, the various apostles basically present themselves as a model of someone we should follow. And of course, the Lord Jesus is the supreme model. And so what does that mean for prophecy? Well, we've got to teach all that God says on every subject. And sometimes pastors can get on what I call a hobby horse and just preach the things that they want to preach, things they like. And what they end up doing is giving people an unbalanced diet. And that's why I think expository preaching is so helpful. When you go through whole books of the Bible, you can't skip the next topic. And since a, you know, a third of the scripture is prophetic in nature, you're going to hit Bible prophecy. And some pastors, too, I think it's not what they, don't pre- what they do preach, but what they leave out. And there are some topics, including Bible prophecy, which I think you're going to cover in another segment, that's just unpalatable to people. Uh, They don't always like to hear about it. It's maybe for some people discouraging. So we have to ask, what did Christ model? Well, he taught us to teach all that he commanded. And the longest sermon in all of Scripture recorded by Jesus is the Olivet Discourse. And so he dedicated quite a large sermon to the priority of preaching prophecy. And when you think about the Apostle Paul and preaching the whole counsel of God, um, where did it fit on his priority list? Well, I think a classic example is the church at Thessalonica. Uh, Paul says, I've just flipped open here to 2 Thessalonians 2.5, and he's talking about, you know, you haven't missed the day of the, you're not in the day of the Lord, the Antichrist is not here, and so on. And he said, Don't you remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? Major question. How long was Paul with those saints in Thessalonica? Well, the Bible tells us in Acts 17, he was just there over the course of three Sabbaths, so potentially a month. 
And so he's there for a month, and he addressed issues as brought out in the first two letters that he writes to them, all kinds of things about Bible prophecy. So obviously, it was important to him. And we learn in Acts 17 that he preached about, you know, the coming of Messiah and how Jesus fulfilled uh, the prophecy concerning his death and resurrection, and also that he was coming again. So, yes, it's very important to Scripture, to Paul, to the model, the apostles. They habitually address Bible prophecy, and if we don't, we're not following Christ's example or the example of the apostles. Okay, that's that's excellent. Let's let's take and build this out a little bit. In the, you didn't actually use, use right now the phrase or the uh, the reference, the, the uh, I guess the description that Scripture is about one-third prophecy. I really like that you went to the, to the Sermon on the Mount where Christ, in his application of the essence of, and people go to the Sermon on the Mount, that they let out the fact that he did talk about a lot about prophecy. So here, here's my question. It's a two, two-parter. Divide it up however you want. But why is the preaching of prophecy so rejected? or avoided today? And, and and how can one justify that? Okay, go there. And then the second thing is, what harm is created within the body of Christ and beyond when prophecy is not preached and intertwined throughout the command to share the gospel, make disciples, and to declare the whole gospel of, uh, counsel of God? Well, first of all, of course, you have your mainline churches that, for the most part, have apostatized. Uh, They say the Scripture is not the infallible, inerrant Word of God. They may use words like inspiration, but they mean something totally different. So, obviously, they're not going to preach uh, what God plainly has said. Um, Then there are those pastors who we would consider as gospel-preaching pastors. They have the gospel, and they preach on most subjects, but they don't teach much on Bible prophecy. And that's largely because, as we covered in our last time together, the way they approach the prophetic realm of Scripture. And the Lord literally fulfilled every single prophecy for the first coming. And so when it comes to the second coming prophecy, they tend to spiritualize or allegorize how to approach it. And much of that comes from Augustine And that bled into the Roman Catholic Church, and you have these Protestant reformers who are saved out of Catholicism like Luther and Calvin. Calvin wrote a commentary in every book of the Bible except Revelation because he didn't know what to do with it. And so he was influenced by an allegorical interpretation of prophecy. And, and, and it's sad because that's where a lot of churches are, and so they don't know what to do with the prophetic portions. Then you've got pastors who are afraid to preach of it because there's all those charlatans, those zealots, those date setters, and they don't want to be associated with them. Even in the evangelical realm, we had a guy named Harold Camping. You know, he owned or you know was over Family Life Radio, which was in markets all across the country, and he was a date setter. And what embarrassment he brought to the body of Christ when, I think on three occasions, the so-called dates that he set didn't come true. That doesn't change what God says about Bible prophecy. And then you have seminaries today that really ignore or minimize Bible prophecy, partly because they're trying to keep their accreditation. So they get more and more professors who have uh, accredited degrees from accredited secular universities 
And so they're not well-equipped and grounded themselves in preaching the word on these major subjects. Dr. Howard Hendricks, one of my professors at Dallas Seminary, used to always say, you cannot impart that which you do not possess. And so if we're ignorant on what God says on Bible prophecy, it's going to be difficult to teach it. And then, of course, it's hard work to study God's word. And there's a lot of pastors who are killing themselves doing all the wrong things when they need to focus on three realms, prayer, the evangelism of the lost, and the teaching of the whole counsel of scripture. And then sadly, some, I think too, Sam, uh, we've talked about this in some months past. Um, They think people just aren't interested in Bible prophecy. That to me, that notion comes from the devil himself. The fact of the matter is Paul calls prophecy the blessed hope. He encourages us to comfort one another with the words of uh, the fact that Jesus is coming back. So uh, even the revelation, there's a blessing attached to it. Blessed is the one who reads and hears and heeds the words of this prophecy. So it's a book where God specifically says, if you study Bible prophecy, you're going to be blessed. And that's why the hermeneutic that we discussed in the last session is so critical. How do you interpret the scripture? And God contained within the scripture, how to interpret prophecy plainly, grammatically, literally, when there's figures of speech, we understand what the figure means. And then we believe the figure literally. And uh, uh, we're out of time. I guess, but I'm going to, I was going to ask you as well, the downside of this, the downside I'm going to, I'm going to suggest, ladies and gentlemen, of not preaching it is that God's people are not equipped to understand what is happening around us and therefore less qualified, less equipped to share the gospel. And the the other result is that the unsaved are not hearing the gospel declared by people who know the Lord because in some cases... They don't know where we are. You can figure out there's a lot of consequences by not understanding and teaching the whole counsel. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the issue of the Old Testament and the New Testament. You can't separate the two. They work together with prophecy. My name is Twyla Braze. I'm president and co-founder of Citizens Council for Health Freedom. I always appreciate being on the program to talk with Sam Rohr and his audience because I know that his listeners are actively engaged in freedom and actively engaged in supporting America and all that it stands for as well as faith in God and the religious rights that people have to worship freely. It's always a joy to be on the program. It's always a joy to talk to the audience. I appreciate all that Sam Rohr has done with this program across the country to bring the word of truth and to bring truth in policy to the American people. Twyla is one of the many expert guests featured on Stand in the Gap today. We encourage you to tune in and listen. Find out more at standinthegapmedia.org. That's standinthegapmedia.org. What is God doing in America? Is the experiment that began in Philadelphia nearly 250 years ago over for good? Or is there a pathway back? Can we rekindle ideals that freed millions from human bondage? Is there still a purpose for a nation that defended liberty in nearly every corner of the globe and once deployed a worldwide Christian missionary movement? We at Stand in the Gap Radio believe the answer is yes. 
By God's grace, America's story is far from over. And it's why we launched 11 Principles for National Renewal, a TV series and compatible journey guide to help you, your family, or your small group take the first steps in helping America begin again. Learn more at StandInTheGapMedia.org or search for 11 Principles for National Renewal at Amazon.com because America's spiritual renewal begins with you. You're listening to Stand in the Gap today, discussing the pressing issues facing our culture from a biblical and constitutional perspective. Now let's rejoin our host. My special guest today, if you're just joining us at this midpoint in the program, is Dr. Carl Brogy. been with me many times. If you can go back, you can go on our website and you'll find an entire series of 10 programs on prophecy, going from the very beginning, interp- uh, defining it, and then applying identifying the events from the very beginning to what has happened to what will yet happen and how that all fits together. If you take and you go back and you listen to all of those, which I would encourage you to do in sequence from the beginning to the ending of that, we started last August of 2022 and then went for 10 months. If you take and you do that, I'm thinking that you will get all of the basic questions that people have relative to what is prophecy and why. Kind of some of the things we're talking about today here, but in greater detail. I'd encourage you to do that. He also has a website at searchthescriptures.org, where he has a lot of information, uh, not just on the matter of prophecy in Israel, but, uh, but so much more. I encourage you to take a look at that. All right, now, in the last segment, we took and we made the intersection between prophecy, what the Bible says, and the whole counsel of God. All right, now, to most Christians, I'm going to go another area that was identified in this uh, listener from Ohio, Jim's uh, note to us that I read. Uh, it's understood for most Christians that the Bible consists of two major portions, the Old Testament and then, of course, a later written New Testament. Now, taken together, these comprise the entirety of what we refer to as the written Word of God, the Bible, and therefore subject to the Apostle Paul's command to, when he says, preach the Word, it's the entire Word, including the Old and the New Testament. Now, in the last segment, uh, Pastor Baroga gave some reasons why people pastors don't preach prophecy. Well, some of it's going to come from this, because in reality, there are pastors in churches today, some in the past, preached the gospel, but they they prided themselves on being New Testament only. Well, and then then you have some heretical pastors like Andy Stanley, who boldly have announced that there is no need to preach any of the Old Testament anymore, because effectively it's, it's old and assumably outdated. Therefore, just focus on the positive aspects of the New Testament verses of love your neighbor and other social gospel tenets. But how can the Old Testament simply be thrown out and a person not become guilty of not declaring the whole counsel of God as what the Apostle Paul said? He was not guilty of that. He did the whole counsel. Well, great. Carl, in simple terms, like we did last time, make the case for why the Old Testament and the New Testament 
work together as a complete unit and therefore impossible, and it may be obvious on its face, but it, let's explain it, to split apart the old from the new if, in fact, the whole counsel of God is to be declared. Oh, great, great, great issue, Sam. You know, I think of uh, Paul when he writes to the church at Rome, and I just flipped open to Romans 15 in verse 4. And there he said, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now, the earlier times contextually is referring to is the old covenant era, the old Testament scriptures. And he's just reminding us that the instruction and the application of the Old Testament scriptures didn't exhaust themselves uh, in the new covenant. In fact, if you remember for nearly 10 years after the church has begun on the day of Pentecost, the first New Testament book had not yet been written. And so, of course, they had the apostles teaching uh, but then the New Testament began to unfold. And so with that said, they studied on the Lord's Day the Old Testament scriptures because, of course, they're about Jesus. He said, Moses wrote about me. He said, Abraham saw my day and believed. He said, the scriptures are about me. Uh, likewise, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul reviews all these Old Testament examples where Israel had failed. And then he says, these were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So you raise, you know, Andy Stanley, who sadly has, quote unquote, said the New Testament should be unhitched from the Old Testament. And he argues that even the apostles did that. He obviously has not read Scripture very carefully. And most recently, he said that our understanding of marriage doesn't come from the Old Testament, but from Jesus. Well, where did Jesus uh, reveal the meaning of marriage? Well, from the book of Genesis, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother. Uh, he recently said that, as Ken Ham brought out in one of his broadcasts, that a literal six-day creation was not necessary to believe that evolution was a viable option. And there's other people, not just Stanley, like Tim Keller, who taught that. That's false because death comes into the world after sin. And so the Old Testament scriptures unfold, um, are unfolded in the new. What we learn about the Messiah, who the Messiah is going to be, concerns the Old Testament. And so Paul will argue with the Corinthians of first importance of the gospel that Christ died, was buried. In First Corinthians 15, according to the scriptures. So he proves from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And much of the future prophetic realm is found in the Old Testament scriptures. That Messiah is going to come, for instance, and literally plant his feet on the Mount of Olives and split it in two. And the promised kingdom that he made to the people of Israel is going to be fulfilled. When Jesus stands up, in the synagogue in Nazareth in Luke 4. What does he do? He opens up the prophet Isaiah, and he said, on this day, it has been fulfilled. But sadly, evangelicals are doing their theology based on experience. And because they have, in practice, divorced the Old Testament, plain reading of Scripture from the New, they say, well, there's no significance to Israel being regathered and reconstituted as a nation and God gathering the Jews from across the planet because the church has replaced Israel. You cannot come to that conclusion. But they did so on the basis of experience because it appeared for over 1,800 years God was doing 
nothing with Israel. Now, as evangelicals, we always rank about those who do experiential theology. They say, I had this experience, therefore it must be true. And we rank against those who don't put their experience under the authority of Scripture. But in the prophetic realm, that's what they've done because they have to ignore passage after passage concerning God's future for Israel. And God said, if this fixed order, the stars and the moon and sun above, you know, ceases to exist, then I'll stop loving Israel and my commitment for Israel will dissolve. But he's not done with Israel. And you can only come to that conclusion by looking at the plain reading of Scripture and the covenant that God made with Abraham. That that's excellent, and I'm glad you went back and connected uh, th- th- those those elements that you're talking about there. Um, but now, in the balance of the few minutes of this program, take what you've laid out the the physical. It, the, the, you, you cannot with integrity divorce the Old from the New Testament for all the reasons that you said. And you implied it, but take and work through it as an example, with the prophecy element. Old Testament, New Testament prophecy, you've already referred to some things, but, but if the Old is not there, or perhaps this, this way, take the Old and prove through the element of prophecy that it is true, and if we did not have the Old Testament, I mean, where would we be right now relative to how we view where we are or where we're going? Exactly. You know, all Scripture, as you quoted, is God-breathed. It's inspired by God and profitable. And he's referring largely not just to the letters that had been written up to that point, but he's also referring to the entire Old Testament scriptures. And so as you read the New Testament over and over again, and different publishers do it different ways in the NASB or in King James, they usually put it in a larger block print, some italicize it. And you have repeated quotes from the Old Testament concerning both the first coming of the Messiah and the second. So you can't separate the two. Augustine is credited with saying the new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed. Now, I don't know that he's actually said that. He's credited with it. I've never been able to find it in any of his writings, but it's still a true statement. And so take, for instance, uh, Genesis 15. Augustine sadly taught, and he planted the seeds for this in Roman Catholicism, that God was done with Israel. And he said some awful things. You're in Yad Vashem, one of the first displays you see, or some of the anti-Semitic sayings that he made about the Jewish people. And it's embarrassing. But he ignored some basic prophecy concerning the people of Israel. And so when God makes a covenant with Abraham concerning a land, a seed, and a blessing, it's not a, it's a unilateral covenant. In other words, it's not based on Abraham or his offspring's faithfulness. It's based solely on God's faithfulness. So he puts Abraham to sleep. And normally when you cut up animals and you walk between them, you said, look, what's been done to this animal will be done to me if I don't keep my word. So God cuts the, has him cut the animal up. He puts him to sleep, and God is seen as walking through the animals. Abraham is not, and God is saying, no matter what the Jewish people, those who are going to come from your loins, Abraham, I am going to keep my promises to Israel. So when you read about a kingdom, the whole idea, you're, my, you're to pray, you know, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven, uh, that's all the Old Testament. 
length of it is found in the New Testament, but it's all in the Old Testament. So much of it is governed by what God has revealed in the Old Covenant Scriptures. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So our theme again today as I've been laying out and trying to connect here in the program, the intersection of prophecy and the whole counsel of God, which of necessity includes Old and New Testament, undivided, taken together, we have we have the divinely authored Word of God. We can't throw any of it out. For years, faithful Christians formed nonprofit foundations or trusts to preserve their ability to generously give to their favorite causes or ministries, even after their death. The problem, professional managers, pressure from left-wing agendas, and even family members with opposing views hijacked the original donor intent. This is sad, but true. But this subversion of purpose can be prevented. Hello, I'm Sam Rohr of the American Pastors Network, and I'm glad to recommend Capstone Legacy Foundation in Wayne, Pennsylvania, an experienced and capable Christian community foundation established to help you set up a ministry, a giving structure guaranteed not to be hijacked, or a place you can donate cash or non-cash assets like stocks, bonds, or property Capstone's designed to help you achieve immediate tax savings and give you needed time to decide how to prayerfully allocate your giving. Contact Capstone at 610-688-8890 or visit them at capstonelegacy.org. With a one-minute look at culture from a Christian worldview, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. Disney's decided again to reimagine a classic. Instead of the traditional seven dwarves, the new Snow White will be joined by seven magical creatures of all ages, sizes, and genders. Of course, Disney's always played rather loose with source material. Few Disney movies follow the original plots of the Brothers Grimm or Hans Christian Andersen. Still, a recent tweet thread highlights just how this kind of ideological editing can move from a quirk to a crisis, noting the passion with which progressive commentators reject anyone saying anything nice in history about the Middle Ages, more than poking holes in romantic views of the past, everything is portrayed as all filth, all sickness all the time. Now that's more than bad history, it's willfully bad history. And it's because progressivism is built on a wholesale rejection of older ways of doing things, especially anything that reflects a Christian worldview. A better take is one that will allow for real progress, but never assume that the newer is always going to be better. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. William Penn expressed a common vision for government later built within the Declaration of Independence. How does integrity, a common vision, and national renewal link? I'm Sam Rohr with another Stand in the Gap Minute. The rotunda in the Pennsylvania State Capitol includes the words of William Penn which read, that there may be room there for such a holy experiment, for the nations want a precedent, and my God will make it the seed of a nation. Wow, what a vision. A self-governing republic based on God's authority. When we recognize this vision shared by our nation's founders, we'll gain a vision for blessing and accept our duty to pursue it. God will then make it to happen. Praying for our nation, seeking the good of our land, and honoring those who serve our land are just some of the ways we can pursue this vision with integrity. Discover more encouraging resources at AmericanPastorsNetwork.net. You're listening to Stand in the Gap today. For more information, visit our website at standinthegapradio.com. Well, I started this program today by referring to a letter and reading part of it, which out of it came 
the putting together the theme for this program today. That was from a fellow named Jim in Ohio. Well, some of you, and you can do this, you can go to the website and communicate uh, with me. Uh, others that do other means, but in that last break, uh, a listener uh, from Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania, actually sent me a text in regard to what we're talking about today, listening live. And, uh, and he, he said these words. He said, um, um, he said, I once heard someone say the Bible is one book by one author about one subject. There's nothing, therefore, we can leave out. That was Don. Don, thanks for that, uh, because it's true. Now, we're going to get into some, some concluding thoughts here. But let me go here, my overview, as I, we wrap this up. In, in Genesis 1.1, the, uh, the God-breathed, written Word of God, the Bible, begins. Genesis 1.1 begins with the words, in the beginning God. In the beginning, God created. Those are the first four words. Now, these foundation words start the Old Testament, which details the history of a people, right? And Pastor Brogy referred to that obliquely in the last segment. The New Testament then focuses on a person. The Old Testament, a people. The New Testament, a person prophesied in the Old Testament. The God-breathed written Word of God then concludes in Revelation chapter 22, the very last two verses of the entire Bible, 20 and 21. These words are stated. He who testifies to these things contained in the book of Revelation says, surely I am coming soon. That's Jesus. He who testifies to these things, Jesus says, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, John the Revelator says. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. And that concludes the Word of God. Now, the Old Testament records God's plan of redemption, culminating in the person of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Yeshua, in the New Testament. The Old Testament details prophecies now fulfilled and identifies those yet to come, identified in both the Old Testament and reconfirmed in the New Testament. The Old Testament identifies the law of God. It describes the character and the nature of God, His justice, His absolute hatred for sin and evil, His past wrath demonstrated, as in such things as the flood, and future wrath in the coming tribulation period against sin, he's going to do that. The New Testament presents the person of Yeshua, God's love manifested in human form, and the fulfillment of forgiveness and redemption through faith in Christ and his completed work on the cross, as, and concludes it all with the promise, as I just read, of his soon coming again, as Scripture records in Revelation 22, verses 20 and 21. All right, Carl. When I, when I share what I just shared, my heart, frankly, leaps for joy, as I know yours does, because of we know what God has done. And for all of us who have trusted Christ, we know what He's done in our lives. And we know that what He shared in His Word, we've seen the prophecies fulfilled come true in the person of Jesus Christ. I, I'm overwhelmed, and I, I think 
that those are the kinds of things that should impact all people when we understand these things we're putting together, prophecy, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the whole counsel of God. Now, here's what I'd like you to do. Apply this to two groups of people. This knowledge, what this knowledge we're talking about, the emotion, the action it should create. First, in those who say they are true believers, the remnant believer, and then secondly, in those who have not yet come to a knowledge of who Jesus Christ is as Savior. Well, Sam, certainly preaching the whole counsel of Scripture, including prophecy, has many, many impacts, impactful effects on the believer. A church that doesn't teach end times prophecy is discouraging the people from holy living. And I say that based on what John said in 1 John 3. He said, we're children of God. It hasn't appeared as yet what we're going to be. But he said, we know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. And then he says something to the effect, and everyone who has this hope, the hope of his return, set on him, on Jesus, purifies himself as he is pure. And so one impactful result of preaching Bible prophecy is it stirs us to want to please the Lord to live a holy life. In addition, Peter underscores that it produces a godly fear. Uh, there's a healthy fear of the Lord that the scripture speaks of. And in Second Peter 3, the end of that letter, he tells us that this coming day is going to happen like a thief. The heavens are going to pass away. The earth and all its works are going to be melted and so forth. And then he says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort, what manner, what kind? And it's a Greek word that means something that's foreign. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct in godliness? And so we're to be different. Paul describes us like Peter as aliens and strangers. We're to be a different kind of people because our citizenship is in heaven. Third, I think if we understand the times as believers through Bible prophecy, our hearts are relieved. Jesus said, listen, you're going to be here hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not frightened. And so when we understand that God beforehand wrote about these things, we're not knocked off center by it. You remember the church at Thessalonica, Paul said, had been shaken and disturbed by a lack of true knowledge concerning prophecy. And he wanted them to be confident and fearless and to have a sure and certain hope. And Bible prophecy does that. When I look around, it's disparaging, you know, what is happening unless we recognize that God is sovereign and he wrote ahead of time these things. Another impact on believers is that it motivates us to our mission. Uh, Jesus said, we have to work the works of him who sent us as long as it's day. Why? Because night is coming when no one can work. And so if Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost, and he's commissioned us to do the same, then we shouldn't be fogged over by the events of the day. We should be focused on winning people to Jesus. You know, we've discussed many times that prophecy is history pre-written. And when we understand it, we're able to see that God has this world and our lives under his control, and we need to share the gospel. And then finally, I would say as believers, uh, it's a reminder there's a time coming. It's called the Bema seat, the, the judgment of the just, the judgment seat of Christ that Christians face in heaven. And Paul can say at the end of his life, well, in the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not just to me, but to everyone who's loved his appearing. 
And so heaven will be great for all who will go. It won't be the same for all who get there because there will be degrees of rewards. Spurgeon said it well. I'm paraphrasing him. But he said, a day will come when the clowns will entertain the goats in the church and the shepherds will fail to feed the flock. In just this past month, two of the largest churches in America, uh, they did their sermons on Toy Story, two a church in Dallas and Rockwall, and another church in Florida on Barbie. And they took movies And instead of preaching the word, because they don't really believe in the sufficiency and the power of Scripture, they're leading those people down a wrong path. And this is what the Scripture said. A time would come when men would not want to hear sound doctrine, but to have their ears tickled. In reference to the lost, listen, we need to repent and call upon Christ because he's going to come. And for many, it will be too late. Today is the day of salvation when you hear the message Mm -hmm. Call on him in faith. He wants to save you. Amen, amen. Thank you, uh, Pastor Brogy, for that uh, well, well, uh, concisely said. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us today on Stand in the Gap today. Go to our website, standinthegapradio.com. Listen to this program again. Send it along to a friend. I think it will inspire, edify, and help prepare us all to do a better job of living for the Lord while we have yet time. If you like today's program, tell a friend. You'll also want to hear Stand in the Gap Weekend and watch the nationally syndicated Stand in the Gap TV program. We present the news of the day truthfully, carefully, and consistently from a biblical worldview and constitutional perspective. If you're hungry for the truth, visit standinthegapmedia.org to find all our programs and the stations that carry them. While you're there, be sure to download our free app and support this ministry with your best financial gift. Then join us again right here Monday through Friday for another program of Stand in the Gap Today.